you have your Bibles, uh, look in the bulletin. You'll f- find all the verses that we're going to be uh, to looking at this week. Um, a lot of them uh, we'll, we're not going to speed through, but I just want you to be ahead so you can see where we're going to be. We'll start here in Ezekiel chapter 11 and then move on to Malachi 2, and then we'll be in Romans chapter 2. So if you want to kind of be ahead, then you can do that. As we talk today about community uh, repair. Now, we're going to examine this from the standpoint of unchanged old hearts. And I'll explain what all this means as we get into it today. But uh, you're going to have to ask yourself uh, before you leave, is my heart an unchanged old heart or do I have a new heart that's got the ability to have compassion and care for those who are around me. And the reason that this is important is because this is the criteria that God has used to determine who are his genuine, legitimate people uh, for the last 3,000 years. And we, it's important for us to examine ourselves, just like we did when we were talking about the Lord's Supper, it's important for us to discern whether or not our hearts are new and compassionate and caring. Now, you may not be aware of this, but heart disease, it is the leading cause of death in the United States of America, actually around the world, uh, in all the the uh, industrial countries, uh, six hundred and fifty five thousand adults will die of some form of heart disease in a year that 's one every thirty six seconds. It will end up costing our economy over two hundred and twenty billion dollars in surgeries and treatments and follow ups This has been a reality for as long as they've been able to keep records as to what's the number one killer. It's heart disease. Yet, very few people will do anything tangible to prevent heart disease unless they experience a life-threatening cardiac event. And it's not for the lack of people trying to train or encourage or warn or let us know what causes many of these things. But when it comes to our physical heart, I think it teaches us a valuable lesson. And that is that the unchanged heart stays unchanged until cataclysmic events force it to change. Now, how many people have you known who just did not take good care of themselves, didn't eat well, didn't exercise, had high stress in their life, and they had a heart attack? The doctor said, okay, you're going to have to change your diet, you're going to have to exercise, you're going to have to lower your stress, you're going to have to do this, that, and the other thing, and they are forced to do it. And some of them do it for a while, but many often just fall right back into the same habits they had before, even though they're aware that it is a death sentence for them. But they're willing to kind of roll the dice or gamble on it. 
I wonder if we're aware and as Christians, as believers, or just in general in the world, that the number one killer of people's spirits is heart disease. More than 655,000 adults in this country will suffer some kind of cataclysmic event concerning their heart. Some will respond and they'll try to make changes. Others will change for a bit and then go right back to their same habits. And it should make sense because when we look at the whole of what the Bible teaches us about our hearts, few of us really worry about the condition of them unless there's some kind of cataclysmic event that forces us to do so. Now, we've been talking about a very cataclysmic and chaotic event in the exile of the Jews from Jerusalem to Babylon. In the last few weeks, we've been talking about the post-exilic period of the Old Testament when they came back from Babylon and as they've been sp spread out in uh, Persia, how they had come back to Jerusalem, uh, some of them, to reestablish the promise that Jeremiah had made that God would bring them back. You can read the historical account of that in Ezra and Nehemiah and in the original uh, organization of the Old Testament books. Ezra and Nehemiah were one book in the Jewish point of view. And in that original take, they described the 100-year period after the first exiles returned from captivity under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Joshua who was the high priest, and of course Ezra and others. And I would encourage you again, if you want to get a quick overview, uh, go to YouTube and uh, look up Bible Project, and you can go to their Old Testament playlist and watch their overview of uh, Ezra, uh, Nehemiah, of Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And you'll get a sense of what's going on in this hundred-year period called the post-exilic period. The prophets Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, they offered additional context to this period before there would be a 400-year period of silence. We talked about that period of silence last year when we were doing the genealogy of Jesus. Now, if you were to look for a common theme that weave through all these books about the Jews who came back from Babylon into Jerusalem, into the promised land, the theme might simply be unchanged hearts. Now, remember through Ezekiel, God said this, and we read this verse a few weeks ago, Ezekiel 11, 19 through 20. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I'll be their God. Now I can't say this enough. It's pretty simple. All God really wants from his children is to be their God and for us to be his people. 
for us to follow his decrees and keep careful his laws because they serve us well, they bless us. And time and again through all the stories we read in the Old Testament during this post-exilic period, the hearts, though God's primary hope was for his people to change their hearts, the hearts of the people never changed. They were the same as when they went into captivity. They were hard. They were hopeless. In Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, it records the conditions of the heart of the people in Jerusalem before God went dark, meaning there would be no word from him. He would offer no new word until John the Baptist would proclaim the coming of the Messiah 400 years later. Malachi describes the unchanged hearts of the Jews even though they had rebuilt the temple and walls of Jerusalem just not to their expected glory as we talked about last week. Malachi pointed out two glaring problems which proved their hearts were still unchanged. That what Ezekiel had prophesied had yet to be fulfilled in an undivided heart. Malachi addresses their indifference and injustice as proof of unchanged hearts. Look at Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. Now at some point, you can read from Malachi 2, 17 through chapter 3, verse 5, but this morning I just want to focus on those two verses, 17 and 2, 17 and 3, 5. Micah says, or Malachi says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. And he's pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? Then he skipped on to verse, chapter 3, verse 5. So I will come to put you on trial, he says. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers and adulterers and perjurers and against who defraud, those who defraud laborers of their wages and who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of injustice or of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. And that last part is important. They do all these things, but they do not fear God will do anything to them. All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, they say. He's pleased with those types of people. And where's the God of justice? He's not going to come down and stop me from taking advantage of my neighbors. It would take 400 years before the trial would take place. But it would come because the unchanged heart of the Jews would not be rewarded by God. Now, while they were waiting trial as a people, they were imprisoned by one nation after another. After uh, the Persian Empire, there was the Greek Empire. Then for a short period of time, the Syrian Empire. And then, of course, the Roman Empire. 
And during that period, the people, the Jews, they were treated brutally, cruelly. Even they, as they tried to establish the, the framework of their belief system. And it would be Jesus who would come and put them on trial finally. He would bring about a fundamental change of hearts finally that Paul describes in Romans chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. And listen very carefully to the description here. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, unchanged, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when His righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who, have, who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. For 400 years from the point of Malachi telling them they would be, under uh, be put on trial for these things, for their injustice and their indifference. Then Paul spells it out very clearly in Romans chapter 2 that because Christ has come, the day of judgment had been revealed. God will repay those who seek good. He will reward those who are self-seeking and seek after evil. He will they will endure his wrath and anger. And this is just a matter of truth from this point forward, historically. We live under this trial of God in which he testifies against our unchanged hearts of indifference and injustice. And our only proof that our hearts are undivided and new is found in our doing good as we seek glory, honor, and immortality. But if we're self-seeking and reject truth as we follow evil, we prove our hearts are unchanged, that they're made of stone. And God sees it all. So how do we know if the practice of our religion is pure or putrefied? Is our heart humble and honorable or is it stubborn and shameless? Don't think just because you're religious that your heart is not stubborn and shameless. Lest you would forget the lesson of Malachi here. As he's talking to God's chosen people, they were indifferent, they were stubborn, they were shameless in their behavior, but they thought God didn't care. If our religion is like that condemned by Malachi, a religion which allows for indifference and justice, it is unacceptable to God, especially in this Christian age when through Christ Jesus we have had made, to, made known to us the truth that sets us free. James, the Lord's brother, writes in James chapter 1, verse 27, 
He teaches us that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. When he says we are to look after widows and orphans, he uses a word that could be translated as inspect. It is our job to inspect whether or not these needs are being met and doing what we can to meet them. And we are to be spotless, untarnished by the world in our religion. And the only way we can prove that we don't have 25-year-old hearts that are diseased and ready to fail is by allowing God to repair our hearts so that they are clean and compassionate. And the changed heart is clean, it's spotless, and it's compassionate, it gives comfort. And this is the religious activity to which we must give ourselves, which is best expressed in community repair. The reason that I use this picture of community repair is because when God always talked to his children about their offense towards him, he used the illustrations of their indifference and injustice towards their neighbors, to those in their families. It is that vertical, horizontal relationship factor. And we can determine whether we have those 25-year-old diseased hearts based upon that vertical, horizontal relationship. The changed heart is always looking to repair soiled reputations and repair soured relationships with those in their community, their neighbors, their family, their friends. And from Malachi to Paul and Peter, God keeps telling us that he will not reward unchanged hearts, but is eager to reward hearts of humility and honor. And our humble hearts allow us to repair soured relationships with those in our community. And our honorable hearts allow us to repair our soiled reputations in the community. So if we want to practice our pure religion that God ordains, we must be careful to repair our relationships and reputations. So let's unpack those today. Let's talk about repairing our soured relationships. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3-4 through 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. James encourages us to inspect what is going on with those experiencing injustice around us, to inspect whether or not they are the comfortless, they're receiving no comfort, no help. And then we know what to do. We're to comfort them in any trouble as God has comforted us. He gives us wisdom. He intervenes in our lives through the love of others. And we overcome. And this will repair any soured relationships we have with those in the community. 
Last week we talked about the good deeds Peter taught us. Good deeds motivated by a compassionate heart will transform any community in which God's people live. And if we're concerned about that vertical, horizontal relationship about our 25-year-old hearts being made new, the proof will be in the relationship we have with those who are around us, especially those who are in need. People are always talking about injustice these days. People who are oppressed and put upon. Do you know how God settles that? He settles that face-to-face, person-to-person, child-to-child. He doesn't settle it in politics or organizational movements or mandates. He settles it when you and I reach out to those who are around us who we have inspected and we've determined that they are the comfortless and we meet their need with the same comfort God has given, comforted us with. It's the most simple little thing in the whole wide world. And yet God will use it to powerfully change any community. And he can use that to change our little community, our little church, our relationships here. It's the fire department approach. You equip, you train so that you can respond to any trouble regardless of those who are in trouble. And I know there are a lot of people out there that they are irresponsible and they always seem to be in need of this, that, or the other thing. But for every person like that, that we need to be careful about, there's someone that you walk by or see or lives in your neighborhood or is in your family or that you work with who's not receiving comfort for the sorrow that's in their heart and their mind. It is our good deeds as we reach out to them that illustrates that love. It reminds me of, I uh, told you about my sister, Kimmy. She was went to um, urgent care and they gave her some treatment, sent her home. She was not getting any better. And one of her friends found out that she was just miserable and felt like she was going to die. And so they just started doing little things for her. They comforted someone who was comfortless and I'm thankful for that because I was not there to help. My sister didn't even know she was sick. But God has been equipping us and training us so that we can respond to any trouble regardless of who's in trouble. When we know what the trouble is, we need to respond to that. That's how we repair soured relationships. But we also want to repair our soiled reputation because the church doesn't always have the most glowing reputation. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 14 says, But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. 
Be spotless, blameless, and at peace. James encourages us to be spotless. And the only reason we will is because we are looking forward to perfect righteousness. We're looking forward to the place where righteousness dwells in heaven. We are the community's conscience in a sense. And we know what to do. We need to make every effort to be spotless and blameless and at peace with God. Because when we do, we're doing the good out of a clean heart. And that's the only remedy for silencing foolish criticism we might once have deserved. And, of course, we studied that last week as well. Doing good out of a clean heart. It silences the foolish criticism. If we have soiled reputations because we are not spotless, because we preach one thing and then do something differently, it will soil our reputation. And the only remedy God gives to us is to do good out of a clean heart. Because even though there might be those, well, you know, they may, they may think they're all that in a bag of chips, but God will silence their criticism by the good that it's done. An amazing thing that some uh, one particular party has learned, I won't mention what party it is, but if they can convince other people that they're doing good for others, that's all they ever care about, then people will say, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's vote for you. It's a police department approach. We know that there's evil, but we want to prevent it and protect those who are vulnerable to it and then prosecute those, hold them in check, who break God's law. We want to prevent evil from making its home here and protect the vulnerable from being taken advantage of by sin here and prosecuting those who refuse to do good along with others, even if it is us. I think it's funny the defend the defund the police proponents they're the ones that make all the noise about it. They're always the first to ask for special protection because the days are evil. The one congressman up in Chicago who made such a fuss and then spent thousands and thousands of dollars on her own protection because she had been threatened personally just told the rest of us to suck it up. We can defend on the police if they do their jobs, but more importantly, can they depend upon the church and our reputation of doing good in the church to protect them and to make their job easier? Are we helping to prevent evil and protect the vulnerable and prosecute those who refuse to do good? And that's the role we play that repairs our reputations.
Now, it was Malachi who pointed out that it is injustice and indifference that reveal that our hearts are hard. And the question you have before you this morning is, do you have a 25-year-old heart? Meaning, is your heart just like that of the post-exilic Jews? You know that you do if it is made of stone like that of the Jews described in Malachi. Their hearts were so corrupt and so cold that though they were practicing their religion technically, their indifference and injustice were not being ignored by God, who said a day is coming when their kind would finally be exposed and put on trial. And the same is true for us in the church. We may be practicing our religion technically. We may be coming and uh, participating in the things that are going on, but do we have indifference and injustice in our hearts that have made them cold to our neighbors and our community, those who are around us, vertical, horizontal? It's our hearts that are on trial today, and God is testifying against us if we claim to be religious but still demonstrate indifference to God's purity and are culpable in the injustice taking place around us with our neighbors and our friends and those in our family. God does not expect you to start a program. He doesn't expect you to raise funds. He expects you to respond as he responded to you through his son, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life and gave himself so that others might find peace and joy. Have we soured our relationships with those in our community? Have we soiled our reputations by living duplicitously? Those are the questions that put us on trial in the eyes of Christ. Now, are we going to be like those who refuse to address the deadly heart diseases which destroy the lives of so many? Are we waiting for some catastrophic or cataclysmic event to take place before we get serious about our own spiritual heart health? Heart disease is a debilitating threat which will eventually kill all of us physically and more importantly, spiritually Unless, spiritually, we accept the gift God desires to give us as described in Ezekiel 36, 26. In which he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone, your 25-year-old heart of stone, I'll add. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And brothers and sisters, that happens when we accept Christ as our Savior and we humble ourselves before Him. We confess of our failure and we repent of our sin and turn towards Him and ask for that heart of that new heart and new spirit. Now, we know what we or we know now, excuse me, now we know what we, boy, I wrote that incorrectly. 
Now we know what, and we know how. The question for you is simply, when? And today is the perfect day for us to come before the Lord and ask that he give us a new heart, new spirit, to repair our soiled relationships, our soured relationships, and our soiled reputations in that vertical, horizontal relationship that we have with him. So let's pray. Father, it is my prayer today that we might be convicted, that our eyes might be opened, that our hearts might be, might be cataclysmically changed today when we realize that in our vertical, horizontal relationship, us with you and you with us, and us with our neighbors and our community, that we have soured some relationships by being indifferent or unjust, that we haven't always looked out for those who are hurting, those who are suffering, those who need comfort, the comfortless, and that there have been times when we've soiled our relationships where we've been indifferent to those who are around us because all we've been concerned about is just taking care of ourselves. So, Lord, we examine our hearts this morning. And I ask that you reveal to us if we have hearts of stone. That you reveal to us if we have 25-year-old hearts that are so diseased that they become so cold, so uncaring, that we no longer see the needs of those who are around us. And I pray, Father, that you will forgive us if we have been trying to practice an empty religion and help us, Lord, to respond to what James says that you accept is, is religion, and that is to be pure and faultless, to look after those who are in need and to serve those with the resources we have available. And I pray, Father, that as that is revealed to us in this particular day, that we would respond to that in faith and hope, and that you begin to transform our world through our little community here as we repair our reputations, relationships, by simply having those hearts that you give to us and serving fully with them. And I pray you would bless us to that end, Father, today. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, let all God's people say.